message. And my assumption is that if we see what Jesus sees and feel what Jesus feels and do what Jesus does, or at the risk of offending anyone who still has a what would Jesus do bracelet, I think it's better to say do what Jesus calls and commands his people to do. If we see what he sees, feel what he feels, do what he instructs us to do, then we will not go far wrong. So with that in our minds, I'd like us to turn to our passage for this morning, Matthew chapter 9. We're going to read from verse 35. In your pew Bibles, it's page 974. I'm going to be reading from the ESV, which is very, very slightly different. You can see that reading. Thank you to the guys uh, upstairs for fixing our technical problems. You can see the reading in the ESV on the screen behind me. So, Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into his harvest. Amen. So what does Jesus see as he sees the crowds in Matthew chapter 9? Jesus sees, Jesus saw people who were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And so it it lends itself, surely, to a question. What what do we see as we see the people in our town, in our neighborhoods, on our streets, busily going about their daily business? What do we see when we see people at the shops or jumping in and out of their cars or uh, walking down the street? Do we see people who are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd? All of us struggle and suffer at times, Christians and non-Christians alike. We all get sick. We all face discouragement and disappointment and family problems and some of us have tough jobs. Uh, We go through grief and loss, but it is the Christian who is able to say in the midst of all of these things, the Lord is with me. 
you alone are my helper. I wonder if you can imagine what it would be like to face what you have faced in your life, or perhaps to face what you are facing in your life, without be, being able to say that the Lord is with you, that the Lord is your helper. Without being able to read Psalm 23 and to feel that those words were not just for David, that those words are for you. Can you imagine a life lived without knowing the Lord Jesus as your good shepherd? A life lived without knowing the Lord Jesus as your provider. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Or without knowing his presence and his protection. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Can you imagine life lived without knowing that death is not the end, but merely the beginning? That death is not defeat, but victory. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus saw the crowds like sheep without a shepherd. And not only did he see, but he cared. Not only did he see, but he felt. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. So do we see what Jesus sees is the first question. When we see the people in our town, when we see the people in our neighbourhoods living without the Lord Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd, do we see what he sees? Can we say with Paul that we no longer regard anyone with a worldly uh, perspective? But the second question is every bit as important. Do we feel what Jesus feels? Do we care the way that Jesus cares? Or are we too busy to notice what surrounds us? Too busy to care, to feel for those that the Lord calls us to love in his name? Maybe the first thing that we need to do is to pray for ourselves. It's all too easy just to be swept along in the busyness of our daily duties. To notice what is right in front of our faces. Uh, and it's all too easy to, to fail to remember what really matters. So what does Jesus see? How does Jesus feel? And thirdly, what are we to do? Do we see what Jesus sees? Do we feel what Jesus feels? And do we do what Jesus calls us and commands us to do? What is it that he calls us and commands us to do? Jesus says, pray. Not just pray, but pray earnestly. So the NIV 
just says ask, I think, from, from memory. And that's right, that the word does mean ask. But it's not the normal word for ask. Uh, it's a stronger word. So it might be translated plead, sometimes even beg. Or it might be translated, as the ESV does, pray earnestly. He tells his followers not just to pray, he tells them how to pray. Pray earnestly. I wonder when was the last time that you prayed earnestly about something, about anything? And when will the next time be? When will the next time be that you pray earnestly? Will it be when you next face some kind of crisis situation in your life? Or will it be in response to the needs that surrounds you every single day and in response to the call and to the command of the Lord Jesus Christ? When will the next time be that you pray earnestly? I'm seeing a lot of people using the newsletters as fans. I wonder... Uh, if we could maybe open one of the back doors to let a wee bit of air in. Thank you very much. I'm not worried that you're hot. I'm just worried that you might fall asleep while I'm talking. So can't, can't have that. Thank you very much. I think if we see what Jesus sees and feel what Jesus feels, praying earnestly, earnestly will not be a problem for us. But sometimes we need to kind of work our way towards that, don't we? We need to see, say, Lord, I see, help thou my lack of sight. Lord, I feel, help thou my lack of feeling. Lord, I'm praying, help me to pray earnestly. And then we need to do what we can do. We need to take those small practical steps. We need to take five minutes this week to look out of the window of our house or our car or chunky monkeys or uh, Costa coffee to watch the world go by. And just to ask that the Lord might help us to see something of what he sees as we watch all of these people going about their daily business. Many of them like sheep without a shepherd, harassed and helpless without the Lord in their lives. Maybe sometime this week we could prize our eyes off of our phones for long enough to notice that which is staring us in the face. And we could ask the Lord to help us not just to see it, but to care, to feel, and then to pray as earnestly as we are able to pray for those people. Pray earnestly. To whom are we to pray? Jesus addresses God the Father as the Lord of the harvest. So the harvest is plentiful, but that can actually be discouraging, can't it? We see the size and the scale of the needs and we just think, it's too much, it's too hard. Maybe we might read John, John's Gospel. There's an occasion in John's Gospel where Jesus says, the fields are white, or right unto harvest. We might say, well, that was fine back then. There was all these God-fearers, these people who, who wanted to come in but were never allowed fully into the, the family by the Jewish people. And now the Gospel 
the, the good news has come, the kingdom of God is breaking in, and these people who were always kept in the periphery are able to be welcomed fully in uh, to, to the, the, the presence of God. Maybe we might say, well, that was true then, but the fields aren't white now. The fields aren't right now. It's, it's difficult. It's challenging. And there are so many. The scale of the needs might discourage us from wanting to see, from wanting to care, from praying earnestly and faithfully. But then we remember who it is that we pray to. We pray to the Lord. He is never daunted. He is never overwhelmed. He is never under-resourced. He is by His very nature the Lord. He is in control. He is on the throne. There are people that He will call to Himself as His gospel is proclaimed. And when I say that, I don't necessarily mean proclaimed from up here on a Sunday. His gospel is, is shared in Chunky Monkeys or Costa or in your house or on your street. There are people that he will call to himself. There are more who will be ready when they hear of Jesus to respond and to receive him because our God is the Lord of the harvest and it is to him that we pray. Harvest itself is an interesting word, isn't it? It speaks to us of opportunity. Again, we could go to John's Gospel, the fields are white unto harvest. It speaks to us of opportunity. Jesus is encouraging his followers to see that if they are faithful to speak, then the Lord will be faithful to, to, to bring this harvest. There are people ready to be gathered to God like the crop would be gathered by the farmer. And there is an opportunity to be part of this great work of, of the gathering of God. It speaks of opportunity. But it speaks of something else as well. I was, I was talking with a friend about this passage. That's what pastors do when they meet together. What, what are you talking about on Sunday? Uh, and he said, oh, he, he preached in this fairly recently. And he did a study in the word harvest. And what struck him was that almost always... In Scripture, certainly in the Hebrew Scriptures, in the Old Testament, remember these are the Scriptures that the hearers of, of, of what Jesus is saying originally would have been absolutely saturated in, they would have been very familiar with. As my friend did this study on that word harvest, he found that most of the time this word was associated with judgment. Come quickly, all you nations from every side, and assemble there. Bring down your warriors, O Lord. Let the nations be roused. Let them advance into the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the nations on every side. Swing the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come trample the grapes, for the winepress is full and the vats overflow. So great is their wickedness. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near. So it could be that as Jesus speaks of this harvest, that those who hear him are joining the dots and connecting up with the, the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament as we would call it now. All these passages which speak of a coming day of judgment. 
could be that we are to be motivated, not just by the opportunity, but by this sense of urgency that people need to hear about Jesus before he comes again to judge. Do we see and do we care? So, we are to pray. How are we to pray? We are to pray earnestly. To whom are we to pray? We are to pray to the Lord of the harvest. Lastly, what are we to pray for? Ministers. We are to pray for more Rosses running about our streets. Wouldn't that be wonderful? That would be great. Surely that's what Jesus asks his people to pray for. More people like me, more ministers running about the streets of Airdrie and all would be well. Well, surprisingly enough, no. Uh, Paul did say to Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. But what we need when we see the great gospel needs that surrounds us is not firstly ministers. It's missionaries. So we are to pray not for ordained ministers, but for trained missionaries. People who go in the name of Jesus with the gospel of Jesus for the cause of Christ Jesus. That's what we need. Trained missionaries from BMS or other agencies. Then after that, we can have ordained ministers. Is that what the text says? Is that what Jesus says? Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, for they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out not ministers, not missionaries, to send out laborers into his harvest, to send out workers. That is what we are to pray for. That is what is needed. Not just trained missionaries or ordained ministers. They have their place. We have our place. But what is needed is laborers. What is needed is workers. Old and young, rich and poor, male and female, well-educated and uneducated, willing workers. There's a phrase in, in football, willing runners. And every team, if they're going to be successful, needs willing runners. It needs people who are willing, as the name would suggest, to make those runs uh, between the, the, the lines of the uh, opponent's team and in behind their defense. And sometimes that can be a thankless task because you can make a big long run, you can exhaust yourself, and the person in your team who's got the ball doesn't pass to you. Very frustrating. Or at other times it could be that the willing runner makes that run in behind and all it does is actually it opens up a bit of room, a bit of space for someone else in their team to get the goal and to grab the glory. It can be a thankless task 
to be a willing runner. It can be a, a, a job filled with discouragements, but the best of them keep running. They keep making those runs, even when they're disappointed and they don't get the pass and it doesn't work out. Even when they don't get the glory, when they just do the hard work and someone else scores the goal and hardly anyone notices that they had a big part to play. They keep on going. They see the significance. They recognize that if they keep making these runs, their team will score some goals and may even win some matches. Well, how the church and the great harvest field that is the world needs willing workers. Those who will serve, even if they're not called to be ministers or deacons, those who will speak, even if they're not known as evangelists, or those who will uh, uh, be appointed as missionaries, those who consider themselves sent into the world by God, even although they are not apostles or, or, or missionaries. Pray for willing workers who will serve the cause of Christ, even when it seems a thankless task, even when it's filled with discouragements, even when we don't get the glory for the work that we do, even when it seems that no one notices. That is what the church needs, and that is what the world needs. Pray earnestly for those who will work to see God gather more people from his harvest field. Pray for those who will be willing to work until that day of judgment comes. Pray for those that will play their part and run their race and do their wee bit in this great and glorious story. And let's also remember that the very one to whom Jesus spoke those he urged to pray for workers, actually became an answer to their own prayers. So Christ goes to the cross. He he dies for their sin, for our sin on the cross. He is raised to life. He gives the great commission and he ascends on high. And those same people then work. They, They go into the world to share the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we ought to pray for more workers, but we ought also to be a part of the answer to our own prayers. We ought to be those workers ourselves. We ought to invest ourselves in something of eternal significance and worth. How do we do that? Well, firstly, everything we do in the harvest field, we ought to do for our Lord. So Paul says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So remember that when you go to your place of work tomorrow, it is the Lord Christ that you are serving. Work with integrity and with joy and with gratitude and with grace Talk with genuine interest for the other. Get that mobile phone out of your hand and be fully present 
as you interact with other people. Uh, treat them with significance and with respect, as if they are important, because they are. Live in a way that befits your identity as a child of God and as a follower of Jesus. There are times that I have met someone, I think I've said this before, I've met people and within a couple of minutes I have come to the firm conclusion in my own mind that this person must be a believer just by the way that they speak, just by the way that they are. Have you ever experienced that? That's how we should be. We should conduct ourselves in such a way that it points people to our Lord. So firstly, in the words of Paul again, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Whatever we do in the mission fields of the world, do it well for Jesus. And secondly, speak for Jesus. So you, you've heard it said, I'm sure, preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. There's something good in that, but we ought to be clear in order to preach the gospel, we must use words because the gospel by its very nature is news. It is good news. And to share news, you have to use words. So if we are to share who Jesus is, what Jesus has done by his uh, incarnation, by his perfect life on earth, by the death that he died for our sins on the cross, by his resurrection over death and his ascension on high. If we're going to share anything of that with other people, we must use words. And that is frightening at times, probably for all of us, the best evangelist I, I ever knew by a million miles uh, was frightened to tell people about Jesus. I could not believe that when he told me because he was so gifted, he was so good at it. And, and he gave his whole life to this. And yet he told me that it still frightened him to do it. But he recognized the great needs. Uh, in many ways, he was the exemplar for this sermon. He, he saw the need and he felt what Jesus feels. And he felt compelled to go into his world and to share the good news of Jesus with others. We must be willing workers, and willing workers will speak. We will speak. I heard a phrase in the news recently. If you've been watching the news, it's filled with all these kind of terrible allegations of historic abuse, which has been kind of swept under the carpet for many years and only now is beginning to, to come into the light. Uh, and in the midst of all of this news of abuse or inappropriate behavior coming out in celebrity circles, a phrase that one person used was breaking the silence. And that phrase really struck me, breaking the silence. It struck me because if we won't break the silence to speak of this good news, which lies at the very center of our lives as Christians, then who else will? So be a silence breaker for Jesus. Not an expert evangelist who has all the answers to every question that they might be asked. 
Not a nuisance who annoyingly turns every single conversation uh, round to the same subject. But when the time comes, speak. Speak graciously. Speak lovingly. Speak truthfully. Speak fearfully, maybe. Speak clumsily, even. That's okay. God is more than able to use our clumsy, awkward, fearful words to point people towards Jesus. Be a silence breaker for the Lord. There may be some disappointments for willing workers along the way, but we will get to experience the joy, the exhilaration of seeing God working in us and through us, the joy of playing our wee part in God's great story. There is nothing that can compare with that joy. The harvest out there is plentiful. There are so many living without the Good Shepherd as their Good Shepherd, without the, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ as their God and Father without the strong and sure and certain hope of the gospel. But we need not despair. Rather, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Amen. Let's bow our heads together as we pray.